This is the Tame Aperture Podcast. Open the five bay doors, please, Hal. Hello, Hal, do you read me? Do you read me, Hal? Do you read me, Hal? Affirmative, Dave. I read you. I read you. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. Sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Welcome to the Tame Aperture Podcast, where we talk all things movies from first-time directors, indie films, art house, and much, much more. Today on the podcast, we talk Zodiac, directed by David Fincher, a crime thriller that explores the real-life unsolved mystery of the Zodiac Killer. With a phenomenal cast and Fincher's masterful storytelling, the film captivates audiences with its suspenseful narrative, intricate details, and atmospheric tension. I'm Gabe Beanendahl, filmmaker, film instructor, and movie enthusiast, and I'm joined by Mr. Alan Martindale, veteran podcaster and editor. Alan, how the hell are you? I'm stoked to be back at it, man. And plus, I think this is the first time we've talked about Fincher. Yeah. Kind of surprising. Well, I think I gave away some of my feelings about this movie in the intro there as I was reading it back going, oh, yeah, I really used a lot of uh, descript- like adjectives that describe how I feel. I, th- I mean, I think that's good, though. I mean, it's this. I mean, we'll talk about his filmography and everything and his legacy and all that. But this is for me. This is top tier. I didn't want to give it all away, but like in the adjectives there, I, I started reading that going, maybe I'm just um, telegraphing too much here. Like <laughs> everyone, they got our rating. Yeah, exactly. Like the podcast is basically over. Gabe, yeah. <laughs> Gabe, Gabe read the intro and uh, he pretty much said Fincher's a master. And yeah. now we move on. Exactly. Okay, episode 61 coming at you next week, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious why. So this was a choice on your end, though. Like uh, you, you chose Zodiac, and I'm first off happy to be back. Yeah, very happy to be back. And uh, I just want to say quickly, if you don't mind, shout out to Colin, who's a colleague of mine, who kind of we've always wanted to get back at it. I, we always we're always game, always. But you get life and things happening. And Colin had reached out to me and said, Hey, I, I listened to the Tame Aperture podcast. You and Alan are great. And I love, he specifically was like, Alan is built for this. And I was yeah. like, yes, he is. <laughs> and I, and I reached out. So anyway, just happy to be back at it. But I asked you like, Oh, what should we do? What should we explore? You came back with Zodiac, which it, to me, I was a little surprised to be honest, Alan. I thought initially, Oh, he's going to come back with something more, horror not thriller sure, sure but like some let's start out where we feel good in our pocket of horror films and no you uh you came back with zodiac which ha- which has horrific elements it does but, it does it's a thriller it's um i watched the killer on netflix his newest film and i don't know if you've seen that like, i did i watched it i know people are kind of back and forth on it. it it was i thought it was a good movie it was a solid film but it didn't stick with me and so then I started thinking, you know, well, what else has he done? Because I know, you know, he's great. Like House of Cards, that first season was amazing. Um, Gone Girl, amazing. I mean, so he's done a bunch of stuff. So I, I wanted to go back and, and revisit. And I just remember Zodiac. It's been a long time since I'd seen it. But I remember that just really enjoying it. And and 
Um, it was the it was probably my favorite Fincher film that I've seen. And after watching, it's kind of just reinforced. Like it's just it's solid. It's just solid. Was it always like once you had seen it? Was it always? Oh, that's Fincher at his finest. Because I have to say, when I was I was surprised, you're like, oh, let's go Zodiac. And I'm like, here's my initial thought was like, I didn't like Zodiac. When really? I saw when I saw it in theaters, gotta remember this came out in 2007. And uh which which if you think about it, is really the beginning of YouTube and the internet, yeah. 2006, 2007. And I'm just saying that because the theater was different than it is today. Right, right. And when I went to that movie, and I specifically remember going to it, it came out in March or April or something like that. And I went to that movie going, and I love Seven. Yeah. Great I film. Mean, you just have to say the word, man. It's just like... I mean, it is what it is, right? It's, it's If you look at it in the filmography of the world of, of portfolio filmmakers... It's in there for just this amazing piece. So I went in with that expectation. And I walked out with Zodiac going, eh, yeah. <laughs> I can kind of see why, though. I rewatched it and I went, and it's like, this is why I was kind of giving away in the intro. Yeah. That is the idea of a master storyteller. Somebody who is able to, I walked out initially going, yeah. And then I'm like, let's give it a rewatch based on Alan's suggestion here. And then watched it and went, okay. Yeah. Now I'm okay. And I start shaking my head. Like I'm getting this momentum and I'm learning new things and, and formulas that he's using to tell story. And it's I was like, okay. There's usually when I watch a movie, like we're, I mean, we're, we're film buffs enough and we've, we've worked on enough sets and we know kind of how the sausage is made that it's hard to watch a movie and get lost in it without saying like, Oh, I love that camera angle or, Oh, I would have done that differently or, or really analyzing it. I absolutely lost myself watching this. I didn't think like that. In fact, there were moments where I was like, I should probably look at this from an analytical standpoint rather than just watching it as a passive viewer. But that's how engaged I was. That's how sucked into this whole story I was. I just thought, I mean, it, it that has not happened for a very long time. That's a crazy interesting point because i always look at films that way and when i rewatch and maybe that was the problem the first time right. is that i was a presumptuous pretentious film student or had just graduated <laughs> you know what i mean and no so one more pretentious than film students or someone yeah, who graduated recently yeah. graduated graduated in 06 right film studies film studies yeah <laughs> <laughs> even <And> more <laughs> yeah exactly and so walking out going well i know everything now <laughs> so in my head yeah. i'm like this is okay but it's yeah. not what fidger would i would expect <laughs> well i mean and i think it, it also speaks to the way he um shot it the way he researched it like he really i i have this thing where i don't like and this isn't a biopic but i don't really like biopics i have a hard kind of with you there though because i have a hard time just taking them like if you can sit down and forget that it's a biopic about a real person and watch it as a as a movie then there is there's something there you can enjoy it but i have a hard time doing that if i'm going to watch a biopic 
I want to learn about the subject. But the problem is biopics typically have either the subject as a producer um, saying what's okay to put in, what's okay to not put in, or the family if if the subject has passed away. So I, I just never really feel like we're getting the real story. And they're also very formulaic. And this one, I was reading about the production and how he went about this. He wanted, like he researched, he interviewed victims and families of victims and eyewitnesses. He wanted to make this as accurate as possible. Now, I am sure that there are tons of creative liberties that he's taken in here. I'm not saying it's 100% accurate, but the fact that he did that, it felt more like a real exploration of this insane serial killer that was happening. Like it's just, it's the whole phenomena of it. I think he handled it very well and approached it with a ton of respect and he wanted to do it right. What you said is a pretty strong point, which is um, I, I didn't really watch it analytically, which is crazy. Yeah. When it's, you really think about it, like, whoa, it totally sucked me out of that analytical viewpoint. Yeah, that's just not something that happens to me very often. And maybe I am just pretentious, but this one really did just kind of draw me in. It was it was a lot of fun. I, I, I can see kind of what you're saying, though, because if you don't know what it is, the jump, the huge gaps in time that happen, it also feels like there's two or three different storylines that start and all of them end inconclusively without a satisfactory ending. Like when... um when the partner leaves, I can't remember his name, that when the uh, the detective's partner leaves, that feels like that's an, an, a loose end that's not tied up. Yeah. When uh, the, the detective actually gets pulled off homicide, that, you know, and it just, it feels like this whole story is just transferring, transferring from investigator to investigator, from reporter to reporter, and there's no satisfying conclusion to any of it, including the very ending of the movie. So I can kind of see why on first viewing why it might be kind of difficult to really, I don't know, champion it. That's, that's probably a fair point. And especially as you're coming out after having studied, like studied narrative structure and like in the theory of how films should be made that right. it didn't align <clears throat> to that theory. Right. Right. Not at all. And, and it, what actually what I found interesting here is exactly what you're saying was the POV change, the point of view change. Yeah. And how, and you start thinking about the, that going, even having, and I've just written small things or done short films and things like that myself. Like how hard, I'm thinking about how eloquently he did that from like character to character. Right. A lot of times when you go into something, it's a single POV. It's like, I'm going to take this protagonist and I'm going to run him through the gauntlet in whatever right. way and come out on the other end with something. But it's going to be the single protagonist all the way through. Exactly. What, what you're highlighting, which, which I also noted this time on the viewing, was like he handed off the baton of the POV flawlessly. That's not easy to do. Not and he went, usually he went from detective to cartoonist or or aspiring writer to like it just passed through those people and it was like oh that makes all that make it makes sense and I think people don't appreciate how hard that is to pass that baton. You know? And when you've seen it in films before, it's typically like a jarring moment 
like the main character dies, you know, the protagonist dies or something. Like there's usually something they fumble, pretty... they fumble the baton. Exactly. And someone's but... tripping on the on the track. Exactly. <laughs> like... This starts off with like Robert Graysmith, the cartoonist, his perspective. Then it shifts over to uh, Paul Avery, who's played by Robert Downey Jr. And then that goes to Mark Ruffalo. And then that goes back to, to Paul Avery, oh, to yeah. Robert Downey Jr. And then finally back to Jake Gyllenhaal. And it just, it really, it kind of just shows you how it tells the story exceptionally well about how this one case is just so frustrating and why it's just, it was an obsession for these people. And I just, the storytelling it's it's impeccable the way he did that because it is so difficult to do and and not even recognizing that on the first view the first view i'm like well it's not following the narrative structure the protagonist <laughs> is not leading us through the story <laughs> he broke so many rules <laughs> <laughs> and then 20 years later going or you know 15 years later going oh i see what yeah. he's doing here yeah alan all we've done is just talk about how great which i don't think is a bad thing i don't think so either i mean the cast too is just like robert downey jr i I don't think people i don't think he gets the respect he deserves uh for the i mean he just he kind of plays the same character in everything he does but he does it so well and it brings life and animation to whatever character he's playing and i think a lot of it's just kind of he's played iron man for so long and that's what people see him as but Anything else he's in is just, he's stellar. Can I ask you this, though? So when you're watching Robert Downey, because he's phenomenal. I really just say, as an actor, if you want to study acting, like, this is the guy to me. Yep. This is one of them. There's probably a handful. For sure. He's so good. And you're right. There's a a little bit of an underappreciation because people are just going to spotlight him as Tony Stark. Right. Right. But if you really dive into his bag, like that dude can act. He really can. I have a question for you, though, about that. With Robert Downey Jr., you know, one of the things we've talked about in the past is people, uh, you know, like maybe Brad Pitt or like we see them as Brad Pitt. They're great actors. Right. But when we watch every movie, they're like, oh, it's just Brad Pitt. Or I get the same thing with Leo. Like, I'm like, it's Leo. And I love, he's a great actor, but like, I'm just like, it's Leo. I don't really identify him as. Right. They don't disappear into the role. No, but they're still, they're great. Right. Right. But it's like, oh, it's just Leo or it's just Brad. Does, does RDJ fall into that category or is he, is he able to character actor more? Uh, Yeah, he, I mean, he doesn't disappear into the roles. Like he's so good and he makes everything he's in better. A hundred percent. I'm not at all trying to to downplay his performance, but he doesn't really disappear into roles. Like some, like Brian Cox, he disappears into roles. Yeah. He, that is like the epitome of just, you forget it's Brian Cox and he just becomes whatever character he's playing. Let me ask you this then is Gyllenhaal a person that falls into those or do we always see Jake? I kind of always see him. I, I I haven't seen everything he's in. I've heard that he's given some performances where he does do that, but everything. So the first thing I ever saw him in was Bubble Boy. <laughs> Have you ever seen Bubble Boy? I haven't seen. I know what the film is, but I've never. It's very. It. It's very forgettable. It's just a dumb, stupid, you know, comedy. I still see him as Bubble Boy. <laughs> like I can't. That was my first impression <laughs> of him, and I still see him as that. And he was very Bubble Boy at 
moments in this movie for sure, especially towards the beginning. Just like Bubble a Boy was come was bubbling through. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and dad joke. Sorry, nailed it. Nailed it. <laughs> um, I always see him. What? Um, I, I agree. I think he doesn't necessarily hide into. He's a great actor, right? For sure. Uh, I don't think that's disputable. To be honest, I think he's a great actor, but I do. He 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 doesn't necessarily, like you said, hide into those roles. Although, what's interesting is the first thing I ever saw him in was Donnie Darko. And for some reason, he does kind of hide in that particular. That, I hadn't thought about that. I think you are absolutely right. He does. He's not. He's not. He's not really Jake that. in that role. Yeah. Well, uh, let's talk about uh, Ruffalo. Ruffalo. I don't know. Here's the other. Thing. Ruff, I, yeah. <laughs> Is it Ruffalo or Ruffalo? I always I say know. Ruffalo, but I don't okay. think there's a bad way to say it. That's probably how to say it. You're right. What are your thoughts on on Mark Ruffalo? Man, I don't know about him. Like I, I feel he's like he's a bad actor by any stretch, but he was I don't a, put him a, in a Robert Downey, Brad. I don't put him in that category, but he's a still a good actor. Yeah. Um, I and I don't know why. He's always Mark Ruffalo, a hundred percent when you see him in something. You're like, it's that guy. It's the Hulk. I think was he the Hulk? I think he was the Hulk. Yeah, he's the Hulk. He's the Hulk. Yeah. And also the other one that comes to mind with him is um Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. And What's he plays he? this side role. Of the the scientist who puts people in in this case Jim Carrey's character to sleep to forget about things he plays the side role in that but he's Mark Ruffalo there like he's not really the, the I don't remember him in that I remember uh, Elijah Wood I don't remember him in that yeah he's he's the uh, the leader or the the manager oh, of okay. Elijah Wood's character okay gotcha I mean but he's Mark Ruffalo there like he doesn't yeah. really he doesn't. <laughs> I'm not trying to disparage the guy. I no, 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 no. Good actor, but it's just there's nothing that that really jumps out about him. I also don't know if I know his portfolio enough to be like, hey, here he is, and and uh, like I don't know. I I've watched enough of his movies, right? Yeah, right. I I agree. Um, and and to be fair, uh, he did come out like recently with our with our boy. Our boy Yorgos Lanthimos came out with four things and Ruffalo's in that movie, which I have not seen yet. I haven't either. Maybe that's... And we know, we go back to previous podcasts. Oh. We love some Yorgos. So good. He, he's, I mean, I love... He might him. be my favorite filmmaker right he's now. one he, of the best. So good. So good. One of the best. And Ruffalo's in that. So maybe that's a... A, a thing we need to explore, which is like, does he come out of Ruffalo or is he just still? Because I think in, in all fairness too, he's been the Hulk for so long, the Bruce Banner character yeah, for so long. Like, I don't know that it's entirely fair, right? But Yeah, I mean, and people want to knock those movies. I don't, like, they're not for me. I don't dislike them, but I'm not running out to see the next Avengers movie or the next Iron Man movie. Um but you you really can't fault these people for you know these are life changing roles, and oh, yeah, I, I mean it, it seems and it feels that way about our boy, um, uh, from oh uh, Robert Robert Pattinson. Yes, at first I just thought of him as a Twilight guy, you know, and I held that against him, and then I saw him in the Lighthouse and Good Time and other you know all those other movies we covered, and he just blows me away, man. He is like he's outstanding. So good. 
So and the thing is, like, I'm not gonna lie, not that way. I want to get off on a tangent here, <laughs> but I love him as Bruce Wayne. I love him as Emo Batman. Bruce Wayne. Emo, Emo Bruce Wayne. I know people make fun of that. I love it. I, I love the dark, I do twisted, too. confused Bruce Wayne. I don't like the sh- the the Bruce Wayne who's all certain about everything. Right. And I know there's different approaches to Bruce Wayne, right? But like, I love his. I love the Batman. That's a side I, note. I that I love that movie. It was too long, but I love that. It was movie. too long, but I thought it was fantastic. Right. Ag- agreed. A hundred percent. That's one we should probably explore in the future. We should, for sure. The third <laughs> so is forgettable, but other than that's yeah. great. There's yeah. some there's some there's some details there we could dive into. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so now we got a whole list of movies we're gonna cover. That's right. Future that's episodes. Right. <laughs> Yorgos films with poor things, the Batman with Robert Pattinson, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. Uh so Ruffalo doesn't really fall into that category. I think he does well here, though, in Zodiac to yep. carry what that detective position is in the film. Uh, I like well, it. You know, now I'm thinking he had some lines that were just... He had some lines that were funny. So I don't know if that's writing or just him. I mean, it's both. It's both. Um, when when Robert Graysmith shows up at his house, like his level of frustration... <laughs> Was I, I mean it was he, I think he nailed it. So the more I think about it, maybe I'm not giving him enough credit. Maybe he's yeah. better than I, I. I don't know. I don't know. I'm gonna have I to. I think that's fair. Yeah, I think that's fair. We're not really diving deep enough. I mean, there's always territory we can go into where we can right. really dive into the complexities. Well, and you've rubbed off on me because you know in the years we've been doing this show, I used to be pretty pretty harsh at times in my view towards movies. I wasn't and. The fact you've you've always made the point, like the fact that a movie even gets made is insane. And if anyone out there has ever tried to make a film, even if it's like a short, it is insanely difficult. And so I've tried to uh, incorporate that in my attitude and my outlook a little bit more where these actors like acting is very difficult. And so like you can criticize actors, but the fact that they're getting out there and doing it and or even passable is is insane to me. So. I'm trying to be more generous. I think that's fair, though. It from this, from the standpoint of, uh, look, the fact that someone's presenting themselves. This is going to get deeper than it needs to be for Zodiac, but I just mean (laughs) the fact that someone's in front of a camera and portraying something else is pretty mind-boggling to me. And I know that sounds like. We take it for granted. Like, I mean that. I don't mean, like, the idea that you can get in front. All these people are around you. Right. Hundreds of, in this case, hundreds of people just sitting there. And the fact that you're able to zone in and focus and, like, push all that out. And then on top of that, become someone else in some sense. It's is crazy to me. The level... I can barely do that in a podcast like this where I'm trying to like think about things and then the next thing and then I'm like, oh, I'm getting flustered and then I'm then things are <laughs> exactly the level of vulnerability, yes, that an actor has to be comfortable crazy, with dude. is terrifying to me. It's terrifying. And if you've ever had to direct actors, like it's you can see that. You can see them kind of going through that and and 
like you said, a, an entire crew of people. Like it's not just them. Like there are so many people on a on a movie set that are watching you and staring at you. And just to be t- comfortable enough, there's no wonder that a lot of celebrities and actors are. You know, uh, they're not they're not on the same level mentally that other that normal people are. You know, because yeah. you you have to be on a different wavelength to even try and attempt something like that. For sure. So I think maybe we're just not giving him his. Is do justice there. Yeah. I think you're right. <laughs> and I think now that we're breaking, this is what always happens is that uh, we start talking about it and then we go, oh, and by the end of it, we're, we're just applauding. Yeah. We're like Ruffalo for an Oscar. I know. I know. We need to find someone to guest on this who just rips stuff apart. <laughs> just like absolutely doesn't care. Dude, by the end of this, we're like, this is a uh, best picture. <laughs> Exactly. Every time, every single. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I'm not going to lie to you, though, Alan. I probably influenced you a little bit in my movie apologist film, uh, film thought. You know what I mean? Like just oh, the idea. A hundred percent. You have make make movies. Well, and and that's the way it should be. Like people should be appreciating the amount of skill and patience and and the art of the craft. It. It's it is it's a different type of thing. Unless you, I mean, I don't have to go on, but I, I know anyone who's going to listen to this probably has an appreciation for it. So I'm preaching to the choir, but it it really is like, it's, it's a difficult thing to do. A hundred percent. So that brings me to a couple of questions I have for you. I, I put some questions down here. Okay. What's, what's beautiful now from back to, cause it's been a while since we've done the podcast. So That's true. Here's the beauty of it now is <laughs> people are going to go, that's cheating, Gabe. I can chat GPT some questions. That's true. <laughs> it's a tool. I don't got to brainstorm every single no. question now. Exactly. Now I went and did some refinement, but ultimately I. <laughs> Look at that. You're adapting with the times. I chat GPT some questions and then refine them accordingly. Right. Right. But my big question, which was, was really like, and I think we already alluded to this, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts how Fincher's directorial contribution really, and, and I'm specifically talking about the, to the, the more or less the suspense build of it. Cause it does, it's easy to build something and then have it drop off and then not revisit it. But right. I feel like this movie and it's hard because of the historical context of the film, right? The Zodiac killer being real, like you were mentioning before the suspense does this the whole time. It does. Me. It does. So what is that about Fincher? Is that a Fincher thing or is that just, I don't know. I, don't know. I, I mean, I think it is a Fincher thing, but I also. Cause there's an, here's what here, I'm going to answer my own question. Not to like interrupt, but like there's an atmosphere that Fincher creates. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what? Like there's some, and it's in every movie. Yep. If you watch a Fincher film, there is an atmosphere that he can visually and otherwise create. Right. And now I'm going to sound like I just love, I do love Fincher actually, <laughs> but like, now I'm just going to sound like, I'm just like Fincher all the way. <laughs> no, I, but you're not wrong. I mean, I, I think you're absolutely right. He he does do that. I mean, the fact that it's, I I have a, a short attention span to say the least. And so if, if something is not, if a film is not keeping my interest for an extended period of time, it could be a 90 minute movie and I'm checking my watch. This was two hours and 40 minutes and it did not feel that way to me. And for well, me, so here's the thing, Alan, 
I didn't even know it was that long. Yeah. Is it really that long? Because I was trying to figure out, like, because uh, we, we were hanging out last night with my daughter, and Jess and I wanted to to, to watch to watch it, and I was like, "All right, Allie, I mean, you can hang out. It's got some brutal parts, and it's long, and she doesn't like long movies either." And so she was kind of, and I, so I looked it up, and I'm like, "It's two hours and forty minutes. Are you going to be able I to?" I I didn't even know. It. See, that's what that's the part of the answer is. I I actually didn't even I didn't look. I didn't know it was that long. Yeah. It's it is that long. It's it's crazy, and the fact it just got better and better. Like the that scene in the basement scared the hell out of me the first time I saw it. It scared the shit out of me, and the I mean the fact that it's one of those moments where you're like, "Don't go in the basement, dude! Don't! What are you doing? You know, you're yelling at the TV." Even my daughter was like. He's not going to go down there, is he? He's not like she was trying not to watch the movie and like play on her phone, but she was so wrapped up in it that she was in. She was in, man. And it, it's the, the tension that that built. And it was like the entire movie through all the funny parts and the all the dialogue and all the, you know, the newspaper stuff. It all was building up to that moment. And it may not have been the actual climax of the film, but it it really did serve that moment because. I mean, that was terrifying. Yeah. No, 100% is. And then you're talking about the moment where Grace Smith goes down into the basement. Yeah. Where there's a, uh, what's the, uh, what's the old man's name? I just forgot his name. Did you get confused at all towards the end? There were a lot of names being thrown out there and a lot. Well, of that's the other thing, people. though, is like, ultimately, the idea that, because there's so much subtext here. There's so much information, right? Like I don't have it all. Even now, I don't. I haven't. Like I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Right. And, and my point being, like the idea that because I feel like it would be easy, and this goes to Fincher's creativity, which is I feel like it's easy to get lost in the weeds, go into details that, not that they don't matter, but there's so much stuff here. Right. That he keeps the, the streamline going forward really clear. You I've, know, and, and that's because I didn't get it terribly lost. Now there's little subtext things that I don't understand about the Zodiac Killer or the historical aspects. Right. But I still feel like, oh, I got the idea. I could watch this movie and walk away going, I get the general approach to what happened and how terrifying it was for that area of the nation in the 60s and 70s. Yeah. Well, I think it also speaks to to how he was able to streamline this because it is a very confusing case. The Zodiac case is insanely confusing. So confused. That's a whole so many, other, that's like, that's oh. a full 12 episode podcast. It really is. Like just, not even just like the players trying to figure out who did it and the investigators and the reporters, like that's enough. But all the theories of the people who may have done it and like going back and forth, like there is so much and all the weird like the weirdos like the tinfoil hat people have a whole whole thing like on what they who they think did it and so it's like for him to be able to kind of streamline it and kind of narrow it down to two suspects and then down to one at the end um he did a really good job of that and i will this is one other thing i wanted to say about that one reason he wanted to be so accurate with interviewing people and making sure he told the story right was he is condemning this this guy uh lee yeah he is arthur, arthur lee, lee allen. allen yeah he is condemning him um 
posthumously. And so he wanted to make sure that if he's going to do that, that he's damn sure that he's a suspect that he, that he did it, you know, like that, that was a big deal for him. Whereas I think a lot of people don't really care. I mean, like, I think there's a lot of, the temptation would have been pretty big to just say, well, let's just do it. You know, he's dead. Doesn't matter. But I think just the care and the concern to make sure that he got it right. I think it goes above and beyond what he needed to do to direct this movie. Is that the conclusion that you walk away with when you watch Zodiac? Do you go, oh, there's no doubt, really kind of in my mind, that Arthur Lee Allen was the Zodiac killer? Yeah, based on the movie, for sure. Um, right. it, this And this, again, with biopics, I, I always go, I, after I watch a biopic, I always want to learn more to know what was accurate and what wasn't. Majority of the time, things are just not accurate at all. And so I was like, well, was this just an easy way to end the movie or end Grace Smith's book that the movie was based on? And so I kind of, I did like, I don't want to say I did research. I listened to a couple podcasts, like very most minimal. Type I, of hey, thing. that's better than me. I read some Wikipedia pages. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it sounds like he's the most likely suspect. Arthur Lee Allen seems like the no brainer here. Yeah. I mean, it really does. What did you think about the ending? So at the very end of the, of the film, if you haven't seen it, you should just go watch it because why are you listening this far if you haven't? Um <laughs> But at one point, let's just say the movie's much more interesting than the podcast. <laughs> Two idiots just talking about it. Eh, just listen to this podcast and get the gist of it. But at the very end, so Jake Gyllenhaal mentions to his wife that he just wants to look, whoever it is, he wants to look him in the eye and know that he did it. it that was a very convenient way for them to get out of the movie without a conclusive ending. Um yeah basically. And so he does, he goes in the hardware store where Arthur Lee Allen is working. He looks at him, they recognize each other. And there's just a moment where they know who the other person is and he knows that he's guilty of it. And then that kind of, and then there's one more scene tacked on just to, to reassure us that he's the guy, but what did you think about the ending? And I know yeah. for a, a true story that has no conclusive ending, it's going to be very difficult to have a satisfying conclusion. But what did yeah. you think of how it wrapped up? Graysmith goes into this store where he knows Arthur Lee Allen is working. And what was interesting was when I was watching that end of the movie with my wife, there's a moment, there is an awkward pause between the two. And you're wondering, are they sizing each other up? Do they know who each other are? Because by this time, Graysmith, for those that haven't seen it, just go watch the movie because you're wasting your time on this podcast. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> but for those that haven't seen it, uh, Graysmith became a, was a cartoonist who became a writer and he wrote a book about the Zodiac. So he becomes, well, I guess he's relatively famous from that perspective, right? Mm -hmm. um, so he writes a book on the Zodiac with his assumptions of all these things. And then there's this, just back and forth between Arthur Lee Allen and Robert Graysmith. Yep. And it's actually, to me, it was kind of creepy. It was. Like, these guys are sizing each other up. And like, I know you did it. And I know you know I did it. And it's right. like, whoa. And I'm like, but then also there was an awkward thing where he first comes in and Graysmith goes, or sorry, Arthur Lee Allen goes, can I help you? He's working at an Ace Hardware. Right. And then he goes, can I help you? And then there's a pause and Graysmith goes, no. 
and they just keep staring at each other. I don't know. So I actually loved the ending personally because I was like, this is the most... Because what else... If you think about all the things that Grace Smith did, he did all the research, did all this stuff, worked with all these people, wrote a book. What a, I, He can't do anything. There's no right. legality or confirming, like, even though he wrote, like... There's nothing he can do. Nothing he can do. So he says, can I help you? And he's like, you've done all the things you can do. Right, right. And I've out, I've outed you in all the, in all the things that exactly that, that you have done, and so you can't help me anymore. And it was kind of crazy because Arthur Lee Allen's like, I won. That's how I felt. I was like, oh shit, the game of chess is now the the Zodiac Killer won. He won. Yeah, no, that's a good point. He totally did. He got away with it. If if it was indeed Arthur Lee Allen, which it kind of feels like it is, totally got away with it. And not only that, but think about it in a chess game, right? Like once you once you check the king, there's nothing you can do. Nothing you can do. And my point being is like Arthur Lee Allen just checked the king. And so when he asked if I can help you and Jake Gyllenhaal goes, no, because he can't do anything. The, the king's nothing been he can checked. Do. Yeah. Checkmate. Exactly. Which brings me to John Carroll Lynch, who plays Arthur Lee Allen. He's that yeah, guy so where when good. you see him in, in something, you're like, oh, it's that guy. He's great in everything he's in. <laughs> but you, I never knew his name until I just looked at it. on hundred percent. You're like, I know that guy's yeah. face. He's been in a million things. And he's fantastic, know. by the way, playing this character of the Zodiac. But Oh, that the scene when the cops oh, man. Detectives the, come to his, his, his workplace. Place of work yeah. And they sit down with him. That scene was to me that is my favorite scene in the whole movie yeah the way he plays it is so good okay we're talking about all these great actors in this movie jake gyllenhaal brian cox robert downey jr even mark ruffalo we got to mention john carroll lynch because he also played i'm pretty sure he also played um the zodiac as he was killing the people and he is just absolutely outstanding that his interactions with the detectives is something that I will remember forever. That scene, just his dialogue, the way he delivers it, the way he goes from like surprised to confident and arrogant. And the things that he says to these cops are ballsy, man. Like it is, uh, it is, there is no doubt in your mind. He's the guy and there's nothing they can do about it. He and starts he highlighting over. words. Like, yes. I mean, I know it's like pigs. The way he said it, he's like, I look forward to the day when police officers are no longer referred to as pigs. Yes. What man, the balls you have. And it's talking about his favorite book is the most dangerous game. And he hands him the watch that is a Zodiac watch with the symbol. Like it is, all, it is, you could not play that better. And all of that is based on what really happened with that guy. Yeah. It's crazy. crazy. It is crazy. It's uh, and I agree. His, his uh, performance there is, is, is probably just when you're looking at the whole of the movie, is is underrated in the terms of, like, of what's happening because you're getting outshadowed to some extent by these great actors like 100 percent. yeah he's Actually, great you know what i think i might be wrong because there are three actors that i'm looking at right now that are credited with playing zodiac <laughs> so i think i'm wrong about him playing and then having multiple people play that role yeah it's an it, interesting it speaks more to the mystery behind it too i like that i just i wanted to give him a shout out because he was so good and usually when you see John Carroll Lynch 
in anything. He's usually some sort of comedic relief type of guy, yeah. like a bigger, bald, kind of funny guy. Um, and he just, he played this so unbelievably well. Leads me to one of my final questions for you, just in general, because there's so much historical background around this. Like, um, <laughs> true crime genre is interesting to me. I don't know why. I mean, I, I'm not as fascinated by the group of people who are just like my wife, who just are obsessed. Right. Right. Listen to podcasts, by the way. Uh, just, just like maybe, breaking, dude, maybe we just go true crime. Let's just let's scrap this movie shift thing. from movie to true crime. That's the way to make some money. <laughs> um, is there an impact here? I'm, I'm wondering from 2007 on, this is probably a bigger question. It may not be able to be answered in, in the time frame. But I'm curious because re-watching this going, and obviously we've just lauded this thing. Like we just think it's this fantastic piece of work. It's true. But to be honest, it is. And then in what ways does Zodiac contribute to the true crime genre? Like, does it have, because there's a couple approaches you can have. Like you look at Fincher also, I believe, was an executive producer on a Hulu series called Mindhunter. Yeah. Which explores fantastic. Which Fantastic. is really well done. It's just like, and it got canceled. They canceled it, which is crazy. It just about, I guess it's numbers. It's a numbers game. Yeah, it was too expensive to produce. How did, my point being here, Adam uh, Allen, the question that I have for you is, how does it compare to other categories in the genre? So, that's a good. That's a good question. I think. Um, I, I think. I mean, I don't know. This is me just assuming. I think. Let, I would let have, me set it up for you this way. Let me set it up for you this way. And this might help because when I think true crime genre or atmosphere, I oftentimes think of these cheesy B either B movies. Yep. Or this, the cheesy reality shows that highlight true crime, like serial killers. Right. And and so I'm saying, what does this film do if it, from for that perception of that genre? I mean, I, I think, from what I've seen, the majority of true crime films are typically documentaries, like on HBO or Netflix or something like that. So I haven't seen a ton of true crime-based narrative films, but you're right. There's a lot of salacious kind of tawdry stuff. Like there's a show that Jess was telling me about called Who the Fuck Did I Marry? That's the name of the show. And, it, you know, like it's, it's a, a true crime thing it, or like Wives with Knives. You know, the, the names where they just don't even care anymore about trying to to dress it up like we're we're all about the victims. They're just like, we don't care anymore. We're just going to make it as sleazy as we possibly can. And what I like about this is it's an interesting film. It's a great film. And it's it's based on a true. It, like a true case. And the fact that he was he wanted to be as respectful as possible and make it as accurate as he possibly could. Again, I'm sure their creative liberties taken to me that this should be the standard. If you're going to make any sort of film based on true crime, this should be a model of how you do that. Yeah. Which surprised me why something like Mindhunter was canceled. Right. Right. How does this film handle unresolved issues of the real life Zodiac killer? We kind of went through that. So we kind of got into that question. That was the, that was the really kind of the last question I had proposed. Um, does it have an impact on the viewer's experience? I mean, if you were to go in clean slate, not know anything about Zodiac Killer, 
Um, how do you walk out of this film? Do you have assumptions, presumptions, et cetera? Um, I think does, does he, uh, you've, 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 sorry, you've kind of talked about this a little bit. How does he handle those unresolved issues? Because it's really still, if you look at the case, it's unresolved. This is another thing. And I don't, I think a good part of this was the writing, the script. And also, I imagine it's in Robert Gray Smith's book that he wrote, which is this movie's based on. You feel like before we get to the end and there's no conclusion, you feel the frustration of Robert Downey Jr., of Paul Avery. And you feel the frustration of the detectives. Like you can palpably feel how angry and frustrated they are that they know who it is, but there's nothing they can do about it. So they almost, it, to me, it's a little bit of foreshadowing. It's almost like if you didn't know anything about this case and you watched it and you saw every single person fail at finding this, and then we go into Jake Gyllenhaal's world where he's given up his marriage, his kids, he, his house is just filled with files and he's obsessed with this thing. You think, oh, he's going to solve it. He's going to be the guy to solve it. And the fact that he doesn't, to me, like you really, you can relate to the character's frustrations because I knew how it ended and I was still frustrated. The first time I saw it, I was like, this is bullshit. Like, this is absolute bullshit. So I think he handled it extremely well. I think the way that he he really kind of, like, you're not the only one. You're not alone in feeling this right now. Still giving a little direction of, like, this is what I'm kind of thinking. Right. But also the, um, the ambiguousness of, like, still going, well, maybe not, though. Right, right. <laughs> Exactly. But I'm leaning this way, like that right. he does a real good job at portraying that, I think. But how did you feel? I mean, I know you liked the ending, but how did you feel? Yeah. Were you frustrated? I wasn't actually frustrated, though, because for me, and this is what's nice, is everyone's going to draw their own conclusion. It's kind of a, a solve-your-own-mystery case at the end, in some sense. He's definitely giving direction. He's definitely, I think, at least, I feel that he's like, oh, yeah, this is the direction I'm leaning but he is not conclusive in it. That's true. Which, which is also like the whole point of the whole entire mystery in general, which is like, this has never been solved. 10 so minutes he, before he has the interaction with, with Alan at the hardware store. We think it's a different guy. We think it's a different Ten guy. minutes before. Yes. Exactly. It's crazy. We're like, thinking, oh, we're we're gonna go. This, oh, it's the guy in the basement. Oh no, basement. what's happening? And then ten minutes later, we go, oh, it's Alan. Right, it was it's Alan all along. And then obviously, yeah, and obviously. But then also, like, and then, <laughs> then it's the walk away going. Was it Alan? Though? Right. Well, even the very last scene, the very last scene where they have the the kid who survived the first shooting that we see, um, he comes in to identify. He to look at mug shots and see if he can identify the guy. And they have Alan's um his it's uh, the his, language here, Alan. It's this the, is the language. It's the language in which he replies. Exactly. So first he goes, This is the guy. This is the guy that shot me. And he's he's very definitive in how he says it. And then he says, How sure are you? He goes, Pretty sure. And he, he had a round face, like this guy over here. And he's like, wait a minute, are you saying it's that guy? And he's like, No. And even, exactly. like, even at the end, we're not like, we're pretty sure, but we're not positive. He even puts, and I don't know if this is the writing, which I assume part of it is the script, but he even puts a number on it. Okay. You, uh, here's, <laughs> this is the beauty of it. Like you just mentioned at first, it's a hundred percent. It's 10 out of 10. 
Yeah. That's the guy. Are you sure? Well, and then he goes on a scale of one to 10, 10 being positive. I'm at least an eight. <laughs> okay. Well, that's not a hundred, dude. So, not 100. And also it was 20 years ago when he was got shot. So, yes. like, and it was dark and he had a light in his face. Yes. Exactly. So the writing here, and 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 I, I assume a lot of that's in. To be honest, is a lot in the writing because how you language that and and right. kind of position that you go one hundred, then you pull back, then you go eh, right. And that's James Vanderbilt. James Vanderbilt, by the way, is the writer of this film. Oh, and really? As a side note, he's a member of the Vanderbilt family, which is kind of crazy when you think of a historical context of the Vanderbilt. Vanderbilts, by the way, are this enormously wealthy. Old money family yeah. from the railroads, I believe. So, Interesting. Uh, he wrote it, which was really crazy. I don't know. I mean, he's a fantastic writer because the script is amazing. It really is. It's outstanding. So he's he grew up with some uh, some white privilege. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> oh man, just getting hot takes all over as we end up the podcast. <laughs> And that's the beauty of Fincher and how he's put it together, which is like, oh, I'm going to give you a resolve. And then you're going to sit there and then you're going to, for about two minutes as credits roll, you're going to go, wait, was that really a resolve? Right. Right. <laughs> exactly. Well, and also, um, one other thing that he does, it's just more of like a kick in the ass is we have this interaction. So you're thinking, Oh, it's definitely him. Like he just pointed him out. He's going to go get arrested now. And then the, uh, the, the, the post film, um, titles come up and it says, Arthur Lee Allen passed away before this, this convert, this interaction could even take place. So it's like, yeah. son of a bitch, dude. Yeah. Like he died before. like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> Not only that, but the title cards at the end, the outro cards. Yeah are like paragraphs right oh yeah so it's not like i like just a simple read like hey this happened and blah 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 and right. done. he's got and and that to me adds to the mystery which is like oh i gotta read this and and you're in by the way you you just went through two hours and 40 minutes and now fincher saying hey take two extra minutes and read text Okay, I, this this brings me to something. Just a quick right. Read okay, this little, text. A little bit of a tangent. So, I, I I always whenever something like a postscript comes up and I read, it, I always pause it just so I can make sure to read it. Sure. I was I was watching this on Paramount freaking plus, and I pause it so I could read it, and an ad pops up. You on a pause screen? They're putting ads on pause screens now. Are you freaking kidding me, dude? Can we get away from this? Sorry. Wait, are you paying for the premium membership or no? Is I, there, I, I is there a even... difference? Is there because sometimes they got like the regular and then the premium? You know, I think I I got the trial just to watch the new South Park <laughs> that came out, and then yeah. I just forgot to cancel it. And oh so, gosh. but we but the side note to that is is essentially like he makes you read a a short paragraph and you're enthralled. Like, yep. here's the other thing, and I've shared this with other people. I'm not a post-credits guy. Mm -hmm. Me neither. I appreciate all the work that went in, but I don't give a shit who the key grip was. Right. I love key grips. They're enormously talented, and I mean that genuinely. Yep. 
I don't care about Steve Jenkins or whatever his name is. <laughs> right, right. Care. Like I'm never gonna. Oh, that that's the key grip that was on that mill. Oh, until okay. it's the movie we made, yeah. and then we're like, oh yeah, exactly. yeah. everyone check out Steve. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I, <laughs> that's a whole nother conversation. But here, but what I'm saying is, he makes you read text, and usually I'm not that guy. And in this case, I'm re I'm I'm actually making sure that I'm keeping up. So that when it cuts to the next intro or outro card, yep. I can read. Exactly. And that exactly. really surmises the essence of the film, the intrigues there all the way throughout. From start to finish. From start to finish. And so you surprised me with this one, Alan, because I originally went into this viewing going, yeah, I remember seeing it in 07. It was fine. Yeah. It was no seven. Right. No, the film seven. It was no seven. Uh, but rewatching this going and looking at his portfolio now, like it's up there, dude. I, I think so too. Do you have a favorite Fincher movie? I nostalgically, it's probably going to sit with seven. Cause have you, once, you watched seven recently. Not in the last maybe five years, right? Okay. Like it's been four or five years probably since I've seen that film. I watched it a couple of years ago, like three, four years ago for the first time in, in a long time. And it is, it was far more disturbing than I remember it being. And, it, and I remember it being pretty disturbing. Like it was, it's a hard watch. That's Even interesting me. though, to me that you say that because I feel like a film that came out way, that's 95. Wow. So like the idea that he can sustain the disturbing from because our generation we've changed so much from yeah. 95 to 2024 you yep. know what i mean so actually that gets me intrigued even more to be honest it's pretty impressive and i would think if you were to ask most people i would think that they would say their favorite film of his is fight club would be my guess That's probably fair and it's fight club is really really good like it, it is really good but there's just something about Zodiac that really, I don't know, it pushed all the buttons that I want. Like it's, it just, he nailed it. I have to do a side by, I have to go back, back and watch seven. Yeah. Because it's been a, a minute. And what you just said to me is really interesting, which is like, it sustains its disturbability. <laughs> he just creates the world building he creates in seven is on. It is the grittiest, dirtiest, like most disgusting world and city. I, I it, just living in that world for that entire movie is just gross. It's gross. That's uh, that's pretty amazing. If you can create that atmosphere in any way, that can be phenomenal. To me, that's the highest praise any filmmaker can ask for. Is that's like if, if you are if you can smell the city that you're watching on the screen. <laughs> If you can smell the rooms you're in and you know what it's like, that's to me, that is incredibly impressive. Yeah. The gluttony scene is pretty gross. Oh, oh dude. Oh, <laughs> or the, uh, the yeah, slot yeah. scene. Oh my yes. God. Yes. The jump scare gets, it's still to this day. Every gets, time. Yeah. Every I time forgot ever. he directed the game. The game was really good too. The game is actually underrated. I think it really is. Michael Douglas, baby. I'm going to have, you know what? I'm going to have to go on a Fincher binge here. 
Okay, that's a perfect way to kind of start closing out the podcast is us just admiration (laughs) for Fincher. Going into this going, yeah, I like Fincher. Seven's good. Fight Club's pretty cool too. And then all of a sudden coming out of Zodiac, which I hated least, like I or I liked least. And now we're watching it going, oh, he's got... And also, this is what the, the interesting thing is about talking through these with other people. This is the piece that I love about films is we can start to explore these other things. And now I'm like, I got to go watch The Killer again. Yeah. I yeah. didn't, I liked it. I walked away going, cool, cool Fincher movie. But it, like you were saying, it didn't, I'm not going to remember it. Right. And maybe I still won't, but like, maybe I need to go rewatch it because Fincher does some things. That <laughs> I know. Yeah. Like I want to see if I have a different, I just watched a couple weeks ago too. So I might have to redo it and, and see, see what I got. One, one more thing real quick. I forgot to mention, there is no backstory for any of these characters other than Gyllenhaal. Like, and even that I feel like is relatively limited. I mean, it's there, but it's relatively limited. You're not going deep backstory. If if you aren't paying attention, you would not know that Robert Downey Jr.'s character is married. There's one mention of it. One mention, and it's just kind of in passing. It's so I, I like that. I like that he just okay. I'm gonna stop because it's like a love fest. No, now. keep going. But it it is just. He just drags you right into it. We don't need a bunch of backstory. We know that uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, he has two kids, by the way, in this, at the beginning of the movie. We only see one. Whoa, that is, what? In- <laughs> I just I made it. some, I made some sort of a hand gesture and Zoom just like popped up a bunch of balloons. That That is weird. Okay. <laughs> Love it. Um, hilarious. But yeah, anyway, that was one more thing that I had written down. I wanted but to But I think a lot of that goes to the writing, which yeah. is like, and that's a hard thing. I'm actually... Shame, shameless plug here just selfish like i'm writing a short film no one gives a shit about by the way and i give a shit i just i just mean like but like not being as a writer mentality of like not trying to think and write in all that backstory is pretty crazy but still yeah. be able to establish a character that we care about and you're right i never even thought of that like we kind of know he's is he really married to uh right. what's her name chloe savannah savina yeah. I can't pronounce your name. I, ap- I apologize. Yeah. But do you know what I mean? Like, we don't, is like, it's insinuated. Like, she comes in later and, like, right. I can't have you see the kids. I can't have the kids see you this way, but they're kind of separated or divorced. I don't I know like, what it is. And I, I, I like that. I like because we needed some sort of um, understand. We needed some way to show that his life is being overtaken by this, yeah, but they didn't want to beat us over the head with all the relationship stuff because this story about the Zodiac is expansive enough. Yes. And so you don't want to add yeah. all that other shit in there because it's just going to, it, it would convolute it, I think. And I, the fact that they could do that one, you need great writing Two, you need phenomenal actors who can make you care about them without knowing anything about their character. And that's one thing about Robert Downey Jr. That I think he just nailed it. Because and three, we, there's a third. You need a, you need a David Fincher. You need a, you need a David Fincher. Exactly. You need a master of his craft to be able to weed the story. It's true. I didn't think we would walk out of this podcast being like Fincher is our favorite. <laughs> Dude, nah. Did he overtake Yorgos? No. Um, his his portfolio it goes back away. Starting in '84, he does a ton of music videos. I knew that. I knew he had done music videos. 
but he had done huge ones. You're talking about Rick. I mean, whether you like these artists or not, they're right. huge pop culture wise. Rick Springfield, Madonna, Christopher Cross. Like these are big names. Pop Those are culture. huge names. Eddie Money. So anyway, he does music videos. And then finally, in let me let me get this right. I want to say it was Alien 3. Am I wrong? Yeah. I think you're right. In terms of films, narrative films, he gets Alien 3. Have you seen Alien 3? I have not seen Alien 3. I saw it years ago, and I don't remember it well enough to say anything about it. I've heard it's not great, but I (laughs) don't know. I couldn't speak to it. And then does he does Michael Jackson videos, Nike directorial commercials. Like, he's doing big. Aerosmith, he's doing big stuff. Yeah. And then lands again. It looks like with Fight Club, or sorry, with Seven. Seven and 95, yep. Yeah. And then into Fight Club and so on and so on. And then makes the full transition after Fight Club. There she goes, Seven and then the game and then Fight Club. Oh, the game. See what we did there? We forgot about the game. Forgot about the game again. Okay, what about Panic Room? Have you seen Panic Room? I have. It's fine. I I saw it a long time ago, and I remember being like, eh. But I I, I remember it. It's fine. Uh, Jodie Foster's great. This is where we get Kristen Stewart, I think. Any last words? Are you? Uh, um, you want to give it a rating? Man, it's been a while since we've jumped into the rating system. And you know me as the movie apologist. Now, just so you know, and you probably you might have this too. IMDb is at a seven point seven, which is extremely high for IMDb. It I is. didn't get a chance to look at Rotten Tomatoes. I'm not sure if you have that pulled up or not. We'll pull it up pull right it. now. Pull it up. Rotten Tomatoes. What are they? What does Rotten Tomatoes have? Ninety percent for critics, seventy-seven wow. percent for audience. It's so I've never understood Rotten Tomatoes. I'm not gonna lie. Ninety per. It, okay. Here I'm leaning more with the critics, as is obvious if you've listened to anything over the podcast over the last hour. So, uh, but in my rating, one to ten, I'm going to go eight point seven. Golden Gate Bridges. Oh, that's a good one. I like that. Um, I'm going to give it an even eight. Dude, I came in way higher than you. Way higher. 8.0 ciphers. Ooh, that's good. Yeah. That's 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 what it should be. Eight. So we got an 8.7 for myself and 8.0. You're going straight across the board. Yeah. There's no decimal points here. Not this time. Okay. 8.0 ciphers. Nice. That is Zodiac, 2007 film. We'll call it a crime drama thriller directed by David Fincher, who obviously over the last uh, hour and 20 minutes, Alan and I have just clamored over. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't didn't even know I was this big of a Fincher. I didn't either. I had no idea, man. I I got a movie of his that sucks and just rip it apart. (laughs) That's what we're going to do next podcast. This is uh, the Tame Aperture Podcast with Zodiac. Uh, Thanks for joining everybody. And uh, until next time, uh, Tame Aperture signing out. The Tame Aperture podcast is produced by Dutch Angle Pictures in association with Studio B Productions. Listen, watch and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify and YouTube.